Good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter Church. My name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter. And we are on part three of this series called Kingdom Come. This series is our, uh, our run-up to Christmas when we celebrate the birth of a king. We're doing that by taking a look at how to live best in the kingdom that that king brought with. And today we're going to talk about the worry that we bring into that kingdom. So just kind of as we're all on the same page here, how many of you have something, anything that you have in the past or are currently worrying about? That's right. And anybody who didn't put up their hands, are you worried about what other people are going to think of you if you put your hands up? Right? We're all worried. We all carry this kind of stress, anxiety, this worry with us all the time. Maybe you're worried today about your exams or tests coming up. Maybe you're worried about finishing off that paper that probably should have been finished off last week. You're worried about the course grades and what, uh, what other people, namely your parents, are going to think about those grades. Uh, may maybe you're worried about what happens after graduation in the graduate school or maybe job that, that takes place. You're worried about where you're going to live or who you're going to live with and finding roommates and finding the right roommates. Maybe you're, you're worried about whether or not uh, you should be renting continually or buying something right now. If now's the right time, you're worried about that decision. Maybe you're worried about whether or not you should, you should quit your job and stay home with the kids or, or, or maybe go back out onto the job market. You're worried. You carry that with you all of the time. You're worried about stashing a little bit of money aside every month so that you can potentially buy new tires when the snow and the ice start to inevitably get very, very slippery. You're worried about paying off debt or how much loans that you're taking on. You're worried. We're worried about things all of the time. For those of you like me with children, one of the things that you worry about most is probably safely tucked away in one of our kids' ministry learning about Jesus right now as we speak. But that doesn't prevent you from worrying about them. In fact, uh, in my life, I know that one of the things um, uh, one of the things that I worry about a lot is, uh, is my kids. And I remember this conversation that I had with somebody who was was in an advanced life stage than I was at the time. So, and uh, you know, I was talking to this guy. He was, he's a lot older, a lot wiser than I was. And uh, he was asking me how things are going. And I said, you know, the thing is, um, a strange event, right, just happened. So that, you know, I just had a baby, mostly my wife. She did the heavy lifting on that one. Uh, but that baby, right, has it's just for the first time started sleeping through the night. And for those of you, right, who, uh, who haven't experienced that yet, like this is the new parent's dream. I mean, this is goals. This is everything. If we could just sleep, everything else can be managed. Everything else is just like, I mean, it's like getting toothpaste back in the container. Like, who cares? Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. I just want to sleep at night. And so I was telling this guy, it's like strange experience. My daughter, my new daughter, just started sleeping through the night, except, and I thought this would be perfect, this is the dream realized, except I spent so much time that night worrying about whether or not she was okay, that what actually ended up happening was that even though she was sleeping, I was not. And then I really stepped in it, and I said, man, how great it would be to be in your stage where you don't worry about your kids anymore. And he, yeah, and he leans in close, right? Like this, he kind of lowers his voice. And he goes, Dirk, let me tell you something. And I'm like, uh, I got a feeling I said the wrong thing. He said, I am 59 years old and my kids have not lived under my roof in over a decade. But still, 
every siren I hear after 1 a.m. is about them. You will not stop worrying about your kids. You won't stop worrying about the economy, about your own job stability, about the future, about tomorrow, whatever it is. And just imagine if you could with me, imagine if you could somehow, impossibly, maybe even miraculously, stop worrying. Like if there was a way for you to just set all of that aside and just quit it and just stop worrying altogether, wouldn't you say that a life like that would be like living in a whole nother world. That's exactly what we're talking about. Because it's almost like you're not even living in this world anymore. It's almost like you're stepping into an entirely different kingdom with entirely different priorities and entirely different kind of rules. That is Jesus' kingdom come. And we're going to see how to do that, how to set that worry, anxious fears aside and embrace the life that he gave us by going to a place called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches us about worry. But he doesn't just say to stop worrying. He actually gives us a way, a strategy to stop worrying. If you have a Bible with you, or if you'd like to use one of ours under the chairs in front of you, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, the page number is in the program for our Bibles, and the words are also going to be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 6 starts off like this. Starts off with the words of Jesus, and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Now, here's a little, here's a little gem for you. This is a trick. Okay, whenever you get to a therefore, in your Bible reading at home, hopefully you read the Bible at home, whenever you get to a therefore, you got to ask yourself, What's it there for? Okay, see what I did there? Church, that's uh, three years and $60,000 in seminary. I need a little more response than that. Thank you. I did it so you didn't have to. So you ask yourself, therefore, what's it there for? In this case, Jesus is talking about, uh, he's, he just finished his teaching about treasures and investments. And he said, hey, listen, don't, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, the temporary. Instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, right? Simple point about investment strategy. Why would you store up? Why would you invest your, your time, your talent, your treasure, your life in something that's temporary in nature when you could invest in something eternal in nature? Instead, he's saying, don't invest yourself in what you can't keep at the cost of investing in what you couldn't lose, right? Therefore, and then he says, talk about worry. So he's connecting these ideas, which is really important, I think, because Jesus is saying there's a connection between the investments that you make, it wouldn't be a stretch to say, the stuff that you have and the worry and the stress that like plagues you and it gives you all that kind of worry, anxiety in the moment now. Uh, we see a number of times in the scripture that Jesus is referenced as rabbi, as teacher. Well, he wasn't the only rabbi, he wasn't the only teacher around. In fact, there was one rabbi teacher around, Rabbi Hillel, that in a lot of ways was even more popular than Jesus was with a bigger following, at least in the early part of Jesus' ministry. And Rabbi Hillel also wrote and spoke, taught about some of these same principles. And one of the things that Rabbi Hillel talked about and everybody knew in Jesus' day was that 
just a, a observation of humanity that this rabbi made. And he said, it seems like the more stuff one accumulates, the more care one has to give towards the maintenance of that stuff. And so if we're connecting these kind of ideas, wouldn't it be not so much of a stretch to simply say, as a quick way of eliminating some of the things that you worry about, you, you could just eliminate some of that, some of that stuff and, and in proportion that you can cut the stress and the stuff down, you can also cut down the worry, anxious in proportion with all of that. So that's kind of like bonus material of like, hey, maybe there's a quick answer to some of this stuff. In case you're wondering, what should I do with those boxes in the basement that I don't use or those clothes in the closets that I don't wear or like anymore? Maybe it's worth getting rid of those things, possibly. But the bigger question is, what do I do with things that I can't so much easily get rid of? What do I do with my kids? What do I do <laughs> with the economy? What do I do with my job? What do I do with that stuff that's so much harder to just stop worrying about? And for that, Jesus, uh, Jesus continues. He continues on in Matthew chapter 6, and he goes, hey, don't worry, not just about that stuff, but don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will, what you will wear. Now, he's talking about a specific kind of worry, and it's worth like pausing, pushing the, pushing the brakes, tapping the brakes pretty hard in order for us all to kind of get on the same page with what in the world Jesus is talking about, the kind of worry. Because it's important that we know that, especially for what comes in the future. Jesus, first of all, is not talking about the kind of worry that says, hey, don't worry about studying for that test later this week. He's not saying, don't worry about writing that paper you should have done. Don't worry about finding a job or going into work. Don't worry about, he's not, he's not saying not to worry in the, in the way that we talk about worrying over plans that we're making. He's not saying, don't worry about putting new tires on your car. Snow and ice really isn't that slippery anyway. He's not saying that. That's not the kind of worry that he's talking about. He's also not talking about worrying over other people's basic needs, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. So as Christians, as Jesus followers, when we're flipping through social and one of those like Compassion International ads, it's like for $38 a month, you could change, you could change this person's life forever. You know? And he's not saying, well, good thing Jesus told me not to worry. I mean, they should read that passage. He's not saying that. Chances are God is a plan for feeding him, for feeding her, for getting them shoes or clothes to wear. And the plan probably involves you or me to do something about that. So Jesus is not giving us this saying as a way to get ourselves off the hook and not care after other people. This doesn't apply to the person that came with you. Don't worry about it, honey. It doesn't apply to her or to him. It doesn't apply to the person on the job site next door, the cubicle next to yours. It applies to you. It applies to me. That's how he meant for it to come across. And the other way that it doesn't it, uh, Jesus didn't intend for it to be used is as a just stop the, the kind of a clinical diagnosed anxiety disorders. Just don't do that. If you suffer from anxiety or panic attacks, Jesus is not co condemning you for that sort of thing. And he's not telling you to end therapy and read your Bible more. He's not telling you to stop taking the medication or whatever seems to alleviate those symptoms. He is not saying those things at all. Although I will say that I think, I believe that what Jesus has 
could be used in addition to some of those things to really provide a whole new perspective and a lot of relief, particularly from people that are crippled with this stress kind of worries. What Jesus is talking about when he uses the word worry, he uses the word merimnao, which is actually related to our word remember, which is kind of an interesting way to think about it. Because he's saying, listen, worry, the kind of worry that I'm addressing here is the kind of worry that stretches back to yesterday and takes all of the anxiety and all of the stress. It's the kind of worry that looks forward to tomorrow and takes all of the stress and all of the anxiety that tomorrow has and taking both of those things and collapsing them in onto the present right now. It's the kind of worry, and this is this is a ridiculous, silly example, but I couldn't think of a better one, so I'm just going to say it anyway. All right, so prep yourself. It's bad, but, but maybe helpful. It's the kind of worry. When you go to a movie theater and you buy a ticket and they say, enjoy the show, and then you say, thanks, you too. <laughs> and you walk away and you're like, stupid, why did I say that? What a dumb comment to make. Right? And you like beat yourself up over something that happened in the past that really, this is key, you can do nothing about. But yet you carry that anxiety and you carry that worry. What are people going to think? Why did I say that thing? Who else heard I said that thing? And you take that with you and carry that with you in the present. And then, and then Jesus talks about tomorrow. We do this all the time with the future stuff. And we worry about this job. We worry about decisions that we have to make. We worry about things in the future all of the time. It's this like anxious, nervous energy that we're expending all of the time. And we take all the stress and anxiety of tomorrow and we bring it into today. If you're looking for a quick hack at what Jesus is talking about, when he's talking about worry, it's the kind of worry that if you sit down and tell a friend all about the thing that you're worried about, and then they turn and they ask you, I understand, what is it that you can do about that right now today? And if your answer is truly nothing, there's nothing that I can do about that today except worry about it. That is exactly the worry that Jesus is talking about. And he says that right there. Don't do that. Thank you, Jesus. However, it's a little bit like the joke about the guy that goes into the doctor's office, why are you here? Doc, you wouldn't believe it. It really hurts when I do this. And he goes, oh, just don't do that. And you're like, not really why I came here today. It's very cold outside. I could have streamed this experience. Maybe at next time I'm rethinking this whole process. No, no. Jesus ramps it up a little bit more from that. And he goes, it, what's at stake? You got to understand what is at stake is so much more than just this worry box. What's at stake is so much more than just a little anxiety or stress that you experience in the moment. What's at stake is nothing short of life. Listen to what he says. And as he continues the line in verse 25, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? You see what Jesus is doing here? He goes, when you, when you spend all of your time on this, it's like you miss life entirely. I can think of a few times in, in my past 
where I've had some decision to make, something weighing on me, something heavy, and I spend so much time. I give an example because it seems a little bit relevant this morning when we thought there'd be fewer people here because of exams, and there's like more people in the front, and people had to leave. And okay, but like stress about adding worship services, worship experiences on the weekend. I remember when we went from one to two, it's like, I know that we have to do it. I know that God would have to do it. Everybody, we know this. It's packed. We got we to gotta do something. But, but like the anxiety and the fear that comes with like asking more people to serve on Sunday mornings and kids ministries and the worship team to be here for, for so much longer and, and so many dozens and dozens of volunteers serving all the time. It's like, who am I to make that kind of ask? And it stresses me out, and it's all of this nervous, anxious energy expended, this worry over tomorrow, even though there's nothing I can do in the moment. And so what do I do? I go home, and I sit on my favorite chair, or sit on the floor, because it's been a rough week this day, and, and the kids are like, dad, dad, hey, dad, and they're like jumping on me, right? And physically, I'm present, and I'm there. I know, because they're physically jumping on me and saying, dad, dad, pay attention, dad, dad. Mentally, emotionally, church, I'm gone. I'm thinking about this whole other thing. And I think, I think if Jesus was around in that exact moment and he would audibly speak to me, in that moment, he might say, Dirk, is it possible that because of this decision over tomorrow, you're losing your life today? Is it possible that this worry is actually robbing you of the life you want today? And in fact, robbing your whole life today. And these are the stakes, church. This is, this is huge. We think it's just a worry box here and there, but this is nothing short of everything, our whole life lives. Jesus doesn't want us to just nervously hang out there. He continues on in verse 26. He says, now look, look at the birds of the air. You're like, Jesus, the birds? Like, seriously? You want me to look at the birds? Jesus, I don't want to look at the birds. You look at the birds. You made them. <laughs> Old people look at the birds. My grandparents would look at the birds. Like, what are you? Okay, look at the birds. And he goes, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your father, your heavenly father feeds them. And now it's an interesting question. Are you not much more valuable than them? So there's a value call on the birds and also on you. Verse 27, can any one of you, think about this as a not rhetorical question. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Like by worrying, have you ever added value to your own life by expending that kind of nervous, anxious energy over tomorrow that you could do nothing about today? Have you ever added value to anybody else in your life? Have you ever added even a single hour of real true life to yourself? Or is the opposite so true? Where by worrying, by that anxious energy expenditure, you're actually reducing the amount of real life that you have to experience. Now remember again those birds. And you imagine he's saying this and everybody's outside and so there's actually birds flying around for them to look at. And he goes, those birds, 
You don't, you don't, you've got it so much better than they do. They don't even know about the principle of the harvest. They, they don't even know that what you pick tomorrow depends on what you plant today. If you want tomorrow, if you want to eat tomorrow, if you want to live tomorrow, you, you got to work today. you got to save something up today. Do you know how critical that is to life and survival? And God didn't bless the birds with that. He blessed people. He blessed you and I with that. Don't you have it so much better than those birds? Yet, the birds aren't losing their life, their literal life over this. Yet, you are. And how much more valuable are you? Do you understand that you're worth nothing short than the life of the Son of God? That's how much you mean. How valuable you are over them. And Jesus like doubles down on this and he gets real sciency and real naturey. So we will too. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? And he goes, see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, he's the wealthiest, most extravagant king in the Old Testament in, ancient, in Israel's past. He goes, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these, like one of these flowers. And nobody even planted. They're just out there in the field that God made them. Now, there's a little bit of a side point here that I got to mention, because sometimes we think about God and we think about Jesus and we just say, you know, if Jesus had his way, like everybody would live such a Spartan, like such a minimalist lifestyle that, that like anything more extravagant than putting on, like wearing a garbage bag would just be too much and a little showy right? And we think that, that's what Jesus would probably have us all wear. Like, probably not plastic garbage bags because, you know, biodegradable, but like a potato sack or something of fig leaves. I don't know. Um, something like that. No, I don't think so. Because Jesus, he intentionally goes to something so intricate and something so complicated, the flowers of the field, and Solomon, a guy not known for sparing some expense. He goes to this and he goes, yeah, Check out the flowers of the field that God also made. Because God, wait for it, isn't just the creator of the basic. God is the creator of the beautiful. And check out the flowers if you want to know. That's why I love that So Will I song so much. Because it's just, oh, it hits me about how big, how amazing, how extravagant God really, truly is. And I think when we see how big, how extravagant it is, it starts to like, it starts to build this sense of who God is and, and maybe potentially the trust that we can have in him. I came across a video earlier this week, uh, flipping through like uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, whatever. And uh, it's a video on the, the gray wolves in Yellowstone. Has anybody seen this video? Like, I'm just curious, like a, like a handful. It's got 40 million views like earlier in the week. So probably over hundred now. It's amazing. Go home, Google like Wolves Yellowstone. It's amazing. Um, you watch this video. I wanted to show it, and I'm like, now, nah, yeah, it's too long. But okay, I'll, I'll run through it real quick. Uh, the wolves in Yellowstone. In the 1950s, Yellowstone National Park, park officials removed wolves out of the park because, like, the wolves, and people wanted to camp there. Uh, so they take these wolves out. But then almost immediately, park officials noticed, like, this desertification process that happened, where the entire Yellowstone National Park was just was dying. The, the river started drying up. The trees and shrubs all, all died. There was no uh, foliage, really, of any kind. Mice, rodents were non-existent. The beavers were gone. Like, it was this disaster of one of these national treasures, supposed to be. So in 1995, researchers 
reintroduced wolves into the ecosystem. And the wolves naturally preyed on the deer, which had no predator after wolves took off. And, and so the wolves started eating the deer, and the deer weren't around to eat all of the, the berries and all of the shrubs and everything growing by the water where it's like out in front. The deer, if they wanted to live, and a lot of them didn't, obviously, they, they'd run back into the forest. And then the, and then the foliage, the shrubs and the trees could start to grow again. That gave the riverbank system uh, some roots to it so that it prevented erosion of the river. So the rivers, they actually started flowing again, bringing water to, to the rest of the park. And then what happened is that the trees started growing, especially as the beavers returned and they'd dam up parts of the river and create these mini lakes where the trees could grow and get nourished by, which would create like more beavers and more. And then, the, and then the mice and the rodents came back and they would eat the little berries next to the river and go in their stomach and the seeds would, would exit after you know, the digestive process, wherever the mice ended up, wherever they lived. And then like all these bushes and trees and shrubs and everything would be scattered like all throughout the whole park. Because one animal was removed and then replaced. Now, I like look at this as a Jesus follower, and I'm like, that is amazing. And not the park. I mean, the park is amazing too, but, but the author of the park. I'm like looking at God behind this whole thing and saying, how incredible is it, church, that God is a God who is so extravagant, who is so beautiful, who loves his creation and the intricacies and complexities of it so much that he would create this massive ecosystem where everything is interdependent on one another. So that if you remove one part of that, everything starts to erode and fall apart, even literally. And so you got to leave it in what he left. And I'm looking at this and going, that's one park. What about all of the parks? What about this whole ecosystem and the people that are living and growing and moving within? And, wh and what about the whole universe and the planets and the galaxies? What about all of it? You can kind of see where I'm going here. And, and I'm like looking at not just the park, but all of creation now and saying, God, I think that you might be worthy of my trust. I think that you might be trustworthy. And you care about me to the point of death and back. I think at my best days, you might have this. And Jesus, it's almost like, it's almost like he knows he's got us, like listening in. And he sits us down at one of those like dinner table, eyeball to eyeball kind of conversations. And he says, now that I got your attention, let me tell you what we're really talking about. Let me tell you the heart and core of the issue. In verse 30, he goes, Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And here it is, four singing words, you of little faith. see what Jesus just did there. What Jesus just did there is he connected this wordy box to our faith box. And he said, maybe the reason why you carry so much of that anxious energy about tomorrow 
is actually not because only that your worry box is so tremendously huge and unbearable, but, but it's like the God box that you have that's supposed to carry it is actually so tremendously small. And he goes, this worry box is so big, there's no way that it's ever going to be able to fit in this tiny God box of yours. And so you like, look at this thing and going, you know, it's possible, isn't it? It's possible in your prayer life, maybe it's something to talk about over, the, over lunch this afternoon or on the car ride on the way home. Isn't it possible that, that where, where you worry the most is actually where you trust God the least? And he's asking you, Right? He's asking you to hand that over to me. You're going, like, God, but I don't think you've got this. I don't think you can, you can handle this. You may have done some incredible work in Yellowstone, but like, you don't understand my job. Right? You kind of like start, to, start to see that. One person wrote about this, and he said, he said worry, this is so devastating. This cuts to the heart. He goes, worry is the sin of unbelieving God's power and God's promises. And it's like, Oh, that stings so much. But I, think, but I think it's also so true. We spend a lot of time reading books and articles and breathing techniques about how to shrink this box down. And one thing I think God is going to do is saying, maybe, maybe God brought you specifically here to encounter church today to think about this box and what happens with it. And Jesus goes, I don't just want to tell you to think about it. I actually want to give you some strategies to deal with that. So in verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, what should we eat? Or what should we drink? Or what should we wear? He says, for the pagans run after these things. And he doesn't mean pagans like, oh, yeah, he's such a pagan life. You know, it's not like a derogatory way that people use it sometimes today. Pagan back then, 99% of the people were pagans. That's like the Roman pantheon, the Greek pantheon of gods and goddesses. You're either like Jewish, Jewish Christian, or probably a pagan if you lived in the area, because that's just like what everybody was. They believed in Apollo, the god of war, or uh, Venus, the goddess of love, etc. Et he goes, uh, don't worry about these things, for the pagans run after these things. And, but you're different. You're not a pagan. You're a Christian. You're a Jesus follower. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. The reasons why Jesus says that the pagans run after all of these things, all of these things right here, is because they have the center of their spiritual system, a set of gods and goddesses who do not know and do not care and are incapable of doing anything about the stuff that you would put in this box. So if somebody wanted an answer to a problem that they have, or a question that they're perpetually asking, they would have to figure out what that answer is themselves. When they need something done, and they want to know how, they had to do it themselves. That's really important. We're different because your Heavenly Father is not only capable, your Heavenly Father knows and He cares how much of that, this is so huge, how much would it mean to you if you were praying about all that worry box kind of stuff and you were praying to God and you were just unloading all of it, every last thing, and it's just pouring out of you, how much would it mean to you if in the midst of your prayer over tomorrow, over the kids, over the job, over the school, over everything, how much would it mean to you if you all of a sudden heard an audible whisper of God into your ear and then right into your heart that said, I know. 
An audible whisper that, that wasn't even, I'm going to do something about it. But what if it was just an audible whisper that, from God that said, I at least know what's happening. Just that. Wouldn't that be incredible? Like, wouldn't that just change your entire perspective? Wouldn't that change everything about the size of this box and especially the size of this box? If, if God just said, I know. Wait for it. He did. We actually have it. The audible voice of God, Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, and he spoke the words, your heavenly father knows. It's right here in black and white. He's telling you and you and you and you, I know, I know. Your heavenly father knows all about it. It's right here in black and white. If you've got a fancy version, it's in red on white. He knows. But it gets even better than this. Verse 33. But, he says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is so huge. This blew my mind earlier this week. I've preached on this one a bunch of times. Like, oh yeah, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. I mean, that's just, that's good. That's gold preaching stuff right there, okay? Good job, Jesus. I see why it made the Sermon on the Mount. It's good. It's a good takeaway. But, but no, like it's even better than that. I've never, I've never noticed this before. I was today years old uh, when I discovered this. All right, this is so important. When Jesus said, that the pagans run after these things, but you, Jesus' followers, seek first these things, his kingdom, his righteousness, God. Wait for it. It's the same word. <laughs> In the language that Matthew wrote, the same word is used for the pagans chase after and Christians and Jesus followers seek after. There's a little different preposition, so it kind of comes across a little different, but at its root, it's the same word. It's almost like Jesus is lining up directly, head to head, these two ways of life. And he's saying, listen, you can spend your time on this one and you can worry. And a lot of you, a lot of us, spend our time on this one on worry because in in the absence of a God who's tiny and can do nothing about it, we have to know the how ourselves. Because if any questions are going to get answered, or if anything is problems are going to get resolved, it's because we knew how the future was supposed to unfold. We knew how things were supposed to happen. But that's the pagan way of life without a God who cares or can do anything about it. Jesus follows, God follows on the other hand, we don't have to know the how, so important. We don't have to know the how because we have a who. It sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss book. Maybe that will help. You don't need a how when you've got a who. Um, listen, inside joke around church here is that I have a guy for anything. All right, now a, a guy, it could, be, uh, it could be a gal, it could be a literal guy, it could be a website. But my thing is like, I've got a guy for everything. You want something fixed around? Like, no problem. I got a guy for that. You want like a thousand chairs and 1,100 square foot tent delivered within the next couple days? I got a guy for that. His name's Aaron. All right. I don't, this is so, I don't know how the chairs have been stored. I don't know how they're going to get delivered. I don't know how they're going to disappear on Monday when everything is just set out by the road, but they do. I don't need 
right? I don't need to know the how because I've got a who that's going to take care of it. And so Jesus says two ways of living your life. You can worry about the how or you can spend a little more time trusting and expanding your relationship with the who. And then what tends to happen is that as you focus more on the who and less on the how, it gets bigger and bigger as the other gets smaller and smaller. And so you can start to see how some of this takes place as you're as your understanding and as your view of God gets bigger and bigger, suddenly what happens is that your who, maybe for the first time ever, is big enough and trustworthy enough to take and to handle your how. So the question is you. How are you going to live? in light of the who that you have going before you every day. I understand that some of you have worry and anxiety that keeps you up at night, that's robbing you of the life you want. And this resonates so deeply with you. And you just don't know how to give the who all of the stuff. And we want to help with that. Church, we have every week a team set up in the back that during the last song, couple of songs, people head on back there and just pray to the who at the center of this creation and say, God, we don't need to know how because we have you, our who. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we don't need to know, we don't need to have all of the answers to life. We don't have the answers to life. We try to and we fail. God, give us the confidence that we don't need to know the how on everything. That God, that's actually the definition of faith is not to see, but yet to believe. Believe in you. To believe in you who are powerful, to believe in you who are strong to believe in you who created infinite complexities of this creation and recreation. God, it's so beautiful. You're so beautiful at the center of it all. God, we have seen you move in our world in the past. We've seen you move in our hearts in the past. God, we simply ask today and this week that you show us your faithfulness one more time, that you, you do it again. God, I pray for people who are going back to that prayer table. I pray for people that have something that they need to hand over to you, God, that your Holy Spirit fills them and gives them that courage to share that burden with someone outside of themselves. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen.